Hey, good morning, Portico. Whoa, good morning, all of Portico. There you go. Happy New Year. Good to have you here in the room. Welcome those of you that are online and by way of the chapel and video cafe. If you're visiting today, we're One Church, One Message, Many Expressions. So we're in this room. The campus out in Milton right now. We're connected online with Portico Online. It's great to have you join us that way as well. And so good to have you here in the room. And we trust if you've been with us over the Christmas season that you'll just feel right at home and you'll journey with us as we jump into God's Word and start a brand new 2016. Hey, I've got good news for you. Everybody up for good news? 362 days until Christmas. You heard it right here. So just kind of guard that one, you know, and parents are like, I haven't got my visa bill yet. Thank you, Doug, for that one. But anyhow, we're going to have a little bit of fun. Well, get your Bibles and ushers if you could help us this morning. If you need to borrow a Bible, raise your hand real high, and our ushers are making their way through the room. They'll make sure they get one to you. Particularly today, I want you to have a Bible with you, and over this series that we're about to go into, I'm going to explain why. But we want everybody to have access to a Bible, and if you come week after week, we want you to bring yours. If you forget it, we've got one for you. Leave it on the chair. And whether you have electronic or hard copy, whatever version you have is fine. Just bring your Bibles. If you're a keener, there's a few of you, you can go to John chapter 18 before the rest of us get over there, but that's where we're going to head today is John chapter 18. You can also go to our Bible app, and it's a fantastic way not only to uh, follow along the Scripture reading, you can take your notes. And this is a series that we're about to begin. We're embarking on a brand new series today, and you're going to want to keep these notes as we get going, because I know you're going to be referring back to them over and over and over. So I would encourage you to do that. Well, as we jump in today, we're going to be talking about can God handle the truth? Good question. Have you ever considered how many polarizing issues you actually have to deal with in life? You've maybe never thought about it, but in life, we are continually bombarded. We face these polarizing issues. And the thing about a polarizing issue is the advocates are very, very staunch and very energetic about it. And so we end up in two camps. We're either, you know, pro or against, and we have our version, we have our interpretation, and we get pretty rigid this way. For instance, one of them is coffee. Is it Starbucks or is it Tim Hortons? Those seekers of truth understand the right answer this morning. I'm not going to give it to you. I'm just saying. It's just one of those ones. That's one of those issues that can polarize. Here's another issue that polarizes. Look at the screen this morning. It's the issue of garbage. Do you recycle or do you just throw it out? Okay, you don't have to confess if you throw it out this morning. But this is an incredible issue. People blog about this stuff. They get on and they debate this stuff because it doesn't matter. It's all going to the landfill anyhow, and it's a waste of money to recycle. Then you have the advocates that go, no, recycling has changed everything. It's helping our economy. It's helping our environment. It's an issue. We get on two sides. Another one is education. Should we homeschool our children? Or should we have them in public school? Some people look at the public school system and they go, I'm not sure it's doing what we want it to do with some of the recent changes. Others go, no, I'd prefer to raise my children in a homeschool environment. It becomes a polarizing issue that generates a lot of discussion. What about children? And raising children and how we punish our children or how we discipline our children. Should corporal punishment be the way we go? Should words and discipline and, you know, we take away some of the privileges? This is a very, very hot topic that people get embroiled in. What about transportation? Here's one. Should we have vehicles on the road or do we observe bike lanes? They're not targets, by the way. You know that, right? Those things in the side and a little bike lane. You know, should we drive or should we have... Listen, I can settle the issue, people. Buy a motorbike, it's two wheels, and nobody will care. So motorbikes is the answer. But the list doesn't end when it comes to these polarizing issues. There's the issue of politics, immunization, religion, sports, taxes, freedom of speech. 
What about poverty or war, genetically modified foods? Whoever thought we'd talk about that? And health care. So it seems like in life, we face these polarizing issues, and it's hard to stay on the fence. You get drawn to one of two sides, and when you get into the conversation, for some, they get very, very intense with this, and the disagreements can get very heated and unsettling. Well, think of this then. Polarizing issues perhaps become even more challenging when we talk about this subject, the truth. What is the truth? Who determines the truth? What determines the truth? Ask a jury, ask a judge, ask a Supreme Court justice. They will all equally share with you. This is one of the most challenging areas when it comes to polarizing factions in society is this issue of truth. Then turn the discussion of truth towards the arena of religion. And wow, can you ignite it. Now you've got a whole different dilemma because think about this. When you talk about truth, it doesn't just polarize outside of the camp. It polarizes Protestants from Catholics, liberals to conservatives, atheists to theists. What is truth? These words are infamous. And perhaps Pilate didn't even realize when he made his declaration how infamous these words would become and how deeply entrenched into our society and how they can create such a deep rift within culture. Because when you say you have truth, you immediately engender this opposition. And people go, how do you know yours is true? Particularly when you talk about religion. So if your Bibles are open, I want you to go to John chapter 18 today. And we're going to have a look. This is the conversation, by the way, of when the Roman governor Pilate is actually going to interrogate Jesus. If you're new to the Bible... Jesus' followers, of course, had been following with him in his teaching, and he was gaining popularity. The religious leaders of his day were very upset that they were losing their camp. They were losing their people, and they were all swaying over to Jesus. So they were looking for a way to rid themselves of Jesus and get him off the market. And they came up with a way of trumping some accusations, false accusations, and they would turn him over to the Roman governor in hopes that he would be executed. I mean, that's pretty serious. So in this little exchange that takes place, this is where the Roman governor is going to interrogate Jesus. He's going to interview him. And I want you to watch carefully a few things that come out of this conversation, and we're going to bring it back into our culture today, the question of what is truth, and can God handle the truth? So here we are, verse 28, follow as I read. So then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas, that was the high priest, to the palace of the Roman governor, and by now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them, and he asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Now watch carefully right there. What were they saying to Pilate? You can trust us. We've already interrogated this man. We've already determined that he was wrong. He's a criminal. So they're telling Pilate, you can trust us. If you were not a criminal, would we, not, would we have handed him over to you? So now watch. Pilate says this. Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. They t- this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death that he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace and he summoned Jesus and he asked him, are you, are you king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? 
Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Ah, you are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason that I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And with this, he went again outside to the Jews gathered there, and he said, I find no basis for a charge against him. What is truth? Whether it was blind indifference or it was honest skepticism, little did Pilate realize when he declared those words that those words had actually become fundamental to our society and what probably the most polarizing words we'll ever speak. Stand in front of anyone, claim to have truth, and immediately you'll have opposition. You'll have those that are going to push back against you. And so regardless of his intent, Pilate, his question was far more revealing than perhaps what he truly understood. So it's this statement, and I want you to think carefully about it. It's this statement, what is truth, that polarizes two vastly different but equally determined camps. It separates skeptics and believers. What is truth? Both will zealously fight over this. Believers will zealously defend their roles as keepers and protectors of the truth. Skeptics zealously pursue their right to define, redefine, and self-determine the truth. And both camps, listen carefully now, both camps, while equally determined that they are right, are not impervious to the questions, the doubts, and the uncertainty that comes with the position that they so vehemently defend. In other words, believers who are the guardians of truth have hidden underneath the surface in the shadowy areas the questions, the doubts, and the uncertainties that even though they subscribe to the truth, there's still areas that they're not quite sure about. And then you have skeptics who are zealous zealous in their attack, fierce with this when it comes to the truth and self-determination, yet they too have deeper questions because even to say, I'm not a believer, presupposes a position of faith. You have faith in something. It just may not be God. So both camps have an expression of faith. Both camps have doubts, questions, and sometimes elements of skepticism. So what is truth? All right, so let me get to the basis of this. So today we're going to begin a brand new series, and I'm going to set up the foundation for you. It's called Tough Questions, Interrogating the Christian Faith. In our series over the next few weeks, I don't want you to miss a message. We are actually going to delve into the question of truth. We're going to examine and we're going to interrogate the Christian faith. We're going to look at the core Christian beliefs. We're going to wrestle with what are some of the most prevalent objections that people have as soon as you say the word, I am a Christian, because that word is a flashpoint. And as soon as you say it, people go, I can't subscribe to your statements of beliefs and your truth because, and it's that because that we want to dive into. So I want to help you that are believers understand truth so that you can not only own it and defend it, but you can live it. And I want to help people who are seekers and skeptics that maybe you don't fully understand the Christian expression of why we claim to have truth and rather come from a position of indifference, you'll have some experience around this. So we're going to have a dialogue. We're going to have a conversation. Everybody okay with this? 
Okay, I've got three on board with me right now. All right, this is good. You're making me feel real comfortable today. How about you people online? You okay with this? Okay, that's all I need to work with. So we're going to have a look at this. We are going to wrestle with the most prevalent. And I want you to hear me carefully. If you're a believer, if you're a seeker, or if you're a skeptic, I want you to make a commitment. I want you to be personally prepared to wrestle with your own doubts your own fears, and your own uncertainty. I don't want you to hide behind somebody else's. I don't want you to use somebody else's name. I want all of us to be able to understand what we believe, why we believe it, and what it's grounded on. So we're going to get deep down into this, and all the communicators are going to be working on this, and we're looking forward to doing the series with you. Now, here's what I know. There's going to be a huge enemy that will seek to undermine anybody that pursues truth. It is the most pernicious and tenacious enemy of all of us, particularly when it comes to truth. And it's this enemy called ignorance. Now, not ignorance defined by the attitude we sometimes see in other people. Not that ignorance. But ignorance as defined by these words, either being unaware, uninformed, or willful neglect, choosing not to pay attention to some of the most obvious signs of truth or indicators that are out there. So a lot of people travel through life, and this whole enemy that really undermines their, their own quest for truth is ignorance. And they just either, they don't, they're not aware of it, they're just not informed about it, or there's times when we choose to ignore truth. You know this to be true, correct? Yes, you do. You've all got speeding tickets at some point in your life. Truth was posted on the side of the highway. You choose to willfully ignore it until the officer reminded you that there was some truth posted there. We... We suffer consequences of willful neglect. So we're going to get down into this, and it's going to get a little gritty, and it's probably going to get a little quiet like it is right now, but that's okay. So ignorance can equally influence believers and skeptics. And ignorance is one of the areas that we want to, we want to drive away ignorance so that we might all together, as a follower, I, and I, I do, I proclaim myself to be a follower, an ardent follower of Jesus, but I don't do it blindly, I do it intentionally. And I want to help you do the same thing. And if you're not sure, if you just, you're not sure about the Christian faith, man, I'm glad you're here. I really am. I just want you to have an open mind. I want you to listen to what we talk about and raise the questions. Now, not while I'm talking because I have big, big, burly bouncers and they'll throw you out. But one of the ways that we can do that to raise our questions, we have small groups. They're called growth groups or our community life groups. So get into one of our small groups or come to our midweek group study and we'll wrestle this out together. We'll talk about it together. So you can sign up and be a part of that today. We're going to go there. So when I talk about ignorance now, let me just set the background here. Ignorance reveals itself in two ways. It'll reveal itself in what I call a blind spot. So this is the whole thing of willful neglect or I'm unaware or I'm uninformed. And it's what I call a blind spot. How many of you own a car? You can, this is church. You can be honest with me in the room here. How many of you have driven a car even though you don't own a car? You understand this. All right, here's a little illustration about a blind spot. Every car, every vehicle has a blind spot. That's why they put those two things on the side that are called mirrors. Many people don't use them. I don't know why they have them. But anyhow, those are two things on the side of your doors that are called mirrors, and they're for the intentional purpose of looking at your blind spots. And when you're driving along, we've all been subject to this. We've been driving along, and maybe we're in our lane, and all of a sudden somebody just veers across because they failed to do a shoulder check or they failed to check the mirror. And what's that? It's that spatial circumference around the vehicle where your eyes cannot immediately see. It's called a blind spot. So a lot of the new cars, I love this. Someday I'm going to have one of these cars. It's got the little blind spot indicators. 
It is so cool. The car is driving along, and all of a sudden, in the mirror, it starts to light up. I rented this car, and I go, like, I love that. So there's these blind spot indicators. So, you know, it's on my next year's wish list. So these little blind spot indicators are now manufactured into our vehicles because we're getting lazy. We don't shoulder check. We don't look. Now, here's the thing about a blind spot. It's not a big deal when you first pull out in traffic in the morning. Because you pull up to the corner. If I'm going to turn left into the main road, I want to turn onto Britannia or something. I'll pull up. I'll stop. I'll stop, look, and listen, right? I'll look left, right? I'll look left. Then I'll turn out, and I know what's within my proximity. So I don't feel like I'm at risk. Blind spots don't usually appear until we've been traveling for a while. Cars have been passing us. We've been passing cars. And all of a sudden, in the midst of the familiar, a lot of change has taken place. And if you don't check your blind spot in the course of your travel, that's when we're most in danger. It's when we want to exit or we want to shift lanes. And if we don't check that blind spot, we put ourselves in serious danger of risk of an accident or injury. So they tell you, shoulder check, check your blind spots. Why do I raise that? That's how ignorance works when it comes to truth. That we get a little bit of truth. We start our journey along, and we start moving, and we feel like, hey, I've got all I need. It's like a little bit of education can be dangerous, right? I've got everything that I need, and then all of a sudden, I'm just sort of traveling through life, and I'm assuming things, and I'm making assumptions, but I'm not really investigating for myself, and I'm not looking. So I hear things from other people. I go, well, that's got to be true, and I just take that in. But I don't check my blind spots, and it just might be that some of the things that I believe or subscribe to, they might not be truth. They might be things that I learned or I observed or I heard, but they might not be truth. And so I'm going to challenge us all. Let's check our blind spots. So whether you're a believer or a skeptic, we all have them. The other one is a barrier. And barriers are those things when we know we have a destination. So for instance, if I was going to go to the West Coast and I had never been there before, and I look at a map and I know the Pacific Ocean is there and I'm determined I am going to go there. So I decide I'm headed to the West Coast. I get out my map and I start to move in that direction. Then as I travel down the 401, I encounter one of these big orange barriers. You've seen those construction barriers? It doesn't appear in my GPS and it doesn't appear on my map, but it is there on the road. I have a decision to make because the sign says bridge out. And all of a sudden I realize if I continue on this trajectory, I'm actually going to be in peril for my own life. And so the barrier, I stop and I go, well, then obviously the Pacific Ocean can't be there because there's a barrier. I'm not going to get there. So I have a choice. I can turn around and go back home, or I can choose an alternate destination, or I can follow the detour signs. And the detour signs are maybe not the way I thought I was going to get to the ocean, but they're going to direct me to where it was I wanted to go. It's true for people in their search for God. They believe, fundamentally they believe, because the Bible says that eternity is put in the heart of every man, that, that someone, something, some being greater than us has created everything, And when some forms of religion say this is the way to go, we start to follow it, and then we hit this like, oh, this is an unexpected barrier. And for a lot of people, primarily skeptics, they'll hit a barrier and they go, see, that's why I don't believe in God. There's a barrier. And the barrier exists for a number of reasons. Usually it's questions. It's questions like, you know, if if there is a God, why is there suffering? Why is there so much evil in the world? So these barriers then can actually derail our quest And that's why I say when ignorance reveals itself, sometimes it's through willful neglect, sometimes we're just uninformed, it's either going to be in the form of a blind spot or a barrier. So our goal is to help you see into the blind spots and help take down some of those barriers so that we can get to the place where God fully has revealed himself to us and the truth that is available. Everybody good so far?
All right, get your notes out. I've got a little statement I want you to fill in. Here it is. Truth challenge. Truth will confront believers with their blind spots and skeptics with their barriers. I want you to fill those blanks in. I want you to think about that for a moment. The truth will confront believers with their blind spots and skeptics with their barriers. It's a general statement. Please don't read too deeply into this. It's just a general statement that I make. But what I find is for most believers, the quest for truth, it's the blind spots that actually messes up. And for skeptics, it tends to be the barriers. And I'm going to unpack that in a few moments. We all have many challenges when it comes to this pursuit of what is truth. So when we start to ask questions, it's not whether or not God can handle the truth. It's whether or not we're willing to face our blind spots and our barriers on our quest for truth. So in your notes this morning, I've given you what I believe are three of the most prominent or significant challenges that we will face over the next number of weeks. And as we go through these, I want you to recognize them and then be prepared to deal with them. I said this earlier. I I want you to understand that you're going to have uncertainty, you're going to have doubt, and sometimes there's going to be a little bit of fear. But in the quest for truth, God has promised something. He said, if you need wisdom, ask for wisdom and I will give you wisdom. He also said, I'll give you my spirit and my spirit will lead you into all truth. So God doesn't leave us alone on the journey. He goes, I'm here and I've given you some resources. So we're going to use those resources together and we're going to do this journey. So fill in the blanks. Would you fill in a couple of things? Number one, I want you to write down the word intellectual. Intellectual. What do you mean, Doug? Well, I think the first significant challenge in the pursuit of truth is what I call the intellectual honesty challenge. Both skeptics and believers are confronted with this challenge. It's a barrier for skeptics because all the unanswered questions of faith can actually become a blockade to discovering truth. For a seeker and a skeptic, it's questions of, well, if you believe you have truth, speaking to believers, then what about the other religions who claim to be true? Or how can you say there's only one way to God? Or as I mentioned earlier, if there is a God, well, why, why doesn't God just step in and immediately absolve or remove all this evil and suffering and pain and hurt that we have in our world? How can you believe in a supreme almighty being who doesn't do anything to help us in this world? So this becomes an immediate barrier and their intellectual questioning, while not wrong, dis- uh, disables them from pursuing a deeper understanding of truth. So they get stalled out at this blockade. So these perceived incongruent claims of Christianity result in an unwillingness to explore, to understand, to investigate, or even to read further. So my my challenge in that moment is, even though questions exist, questions can actually lead us to deeper truth if we'll wrestle them through. Look at John 18, 38. It's in your notes. This is Pilate, of course, talking to Jesus. He said, what is truth. What is truth? And with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there, and he said, I find no basis for a charge with them. In that moment right there, he asks the question, he poses the question to Jesus. He goes, so tell me, what is truth? And then he never gives him an, an opportunity to answer. And this is amazing to me, because even those who are not sure about the Christian faith, if you go back and you study the historical documentation around the veracity of the life of Jesus, you'll find the records and the written records are all there. Jesus was someone who allowed people to come in and to question, to investigate. He loved discussion and debate and dialogue. What he didn't like was total indifference or ignorance. But anybody who had a legitimate question, he'd welcome to come in. Let's sit, let's talk, let's reason together. Pilate had an opportunity that he completely blew 
when he asked Jesus, what is truth? And then he turns and he goes back out and he just gives into the public pressure of satisfying the Jewish leaders and their request for Jesus' execution. But when you look at the life of Jesus, if you're a skeptic or a seeker, here's what I want you to understand. When you open up the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go to the center, turn to the right in the Bible. When you look at that, you will find the life of Jesus openly welcoming people who sincerely wanted to have conversation. And that's what he invites us to. So for, for the skeptic, the intellectual challenge is going to be, don't let it be a barrier. Just because the questions are there, push past the questions, investigate, and let's see what Jesus has to say. We're going to do that with you. Now, for the believer, the intellectual, uh, the intellectual honesty challenge, I think it's more of a blind spot. Not so much a barrier. It's what I call a blind spot. Because for believers, for many, they quickly dismiss the need to study understand, and know what the Scriptures teach. They come to a position of faith, and they become very passionate about their convictions. And a lot of times, convictions are expressed through emotion, but they don't know where to turn or how to really put a basis to what it is they truly believe. Paul would write to Timothy, and he'd say to Timothy, study to show yourself approved. He goes, Timothy... Make sure you get in and know what God's Word has to say for yourself. Don't just take it secondhand because somebody else said that. Now, you all know you can trust me, right? Okay, one laugh. That doesn't start the crowd off in the right direction. Ushers, take that man out. No. Um, No. The Bereans in the Bible, the Bereans in the book of Acts, Paul would get up and he would teach them, and the Bereans would listen to what Paul said. It says that they would go back, they would pull out the Scriptures, they'd start looking through the Scriptures and go, whoa, Paul said that, it's right there in the Scriptures. It's true. He said that, it's right there in the Scriptures. Paul goes, I love those people because they take what I said, they investigated it for themselves. Why is that so important? Because when you're defending truth, it's not whether or not I said it to you, It's whether or not the truth declares it. Does that make sense? If God declared it, God will defend it. If I declared it, then I'm going to have to defend it. So our goal, that's why it said, take a Bible. I want you to have the Bible open in front of you so that God will defend His truth. I don't have to defend it for it. It's wonderful. But as believers, so often I meet people and they have such a wonderful relationship with Jesus, but it's a lot of emotion and not a lot of knowledge. And it should be both together. It should be experiential and it should be knowledge. It should be built into our lives. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15, here's what it says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Does that mean you have to be a walking encyclopedia? No. So how do you handle a moment when somebody says to you, what about evil and suffering? What do you do right then? Call Pastor Doug. No. You call Pastor Jeff. That's what I do. Or you put Ravi Zacharias on your speed dial. No, that's not what we do. You know what you do? One of the greatest things that we can do when it comes to this intellectual honesty challenge for believers to get out of our blind spot is just admit we don't know. Just go, you know, I don't, I really don't know the answer to that one, but there's an answer for it. So I'm going to investigate a little bit and I'll get you the answer that you're looking for and we'll talk about it together. It is amazing how many people respond. I'm looking forward to that. So this intellectual honesty challenge, if you're a follower of Jesus, hear me today. I love it when we raise our hands. I love it when we worship. I love it when we move out in faith. But I value it when we get into the Word. And here's something we've been watching. Biblical literacy 
You've heard me say this. You've heard our pastor say this. Biblical literacy is declining. People are not reading their Bibles. What does that tell me? That in this intellectual honesty challenge, we're going to fail. Our blind spot is we don't know the Scriptures anymore. And so if you don't know the Scriptures, you can't defend truth. So if you want to defend truth, get, get back into the Bible and make that part of your regular. All right, enough on that one. Let's go back into the notes. Here, number two, fill this one out. This is the next challenge I see. It's called the personal challenge. So the significant challenge is, is really a little bit deeper. It's about the personal experience challenge. Now, for a skeptic and a seeker, this can become a barrier because often truth is perceived to be merely a cognitive function, something to be learned or comprehended. I acquire something that I now have. It's part of my understanding. So for many people, truth is not something you experience. It's just something that you learn and then you'll apply at some point. Yet we discover that truth can actually be experienced. It can be transformative. That's why Jesus said it this way. He goes, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you can know something, but if it's not applied, it doesn't transform. But if you know the truth, he goes, and then you allow the truth to become real, and in faith you live the truth out, and many of you understand this, the truth will set you free. It's a powerful, powerful principle. So when Paul was preparing his defense and making his defense before Herod Agrippa, I want you to see in your notes, Acts chapter 26, verse 28, Paul was waxing eloquent. He was telling them about Jesus and telling them about the Scriptures. And look what Agrippa said to Paul. Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? So here's a moment where Agrippa was fascinated with all the truth that Paul was telling him. But he goes, do you actually think that you can persuade me now to become a Christian? And I love the little play on words in here because Agrippa was hearing truth and all he needed to do was take the barrier down and make it personal. And that's the challenge, particularly for skeptics. It becomes a barrier is to move into this realm where truth can be comprehended and it can be celebrated in your life. Now, for the believer, this is what I call a blind spot. Let me explain. When it comes to this personal experience, for many people, and I need you to listen carefully, If you are a follower of Jesus, you claim to be a Christian. For many people, their faith has rested on the experience of others. It was the faith of my parents. It was the faith of my church leaders. It was the faith of my family. For generations, people have attended churches which were the church of their parents or their grandparents. So by going to church... They became very, very familiar with the teaching and with the truth, and they have knowledge of God. They have knowledge of truth, but they don't have experience of truth. So by attending the church, they're comfortable because they're learning a great deal, but they've never really applied it into their lives. So it works out this way, and maybe this is a better way to understand it. The blind spot for a lot of people who call themselves Christians, and this is one of those wrestle points, is their faith was inherited. It wasn't invited. Their faith was something that they simply absorbed. And as wonderful as that is, because Paul even says to Timothy, he goes, I love the fact that your grandmother and your mother handed their faith down to you. But Timothy, stir into, stir up within you, fan into flame. That is what that which is within you. In other words, you need to personally invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. 
So for people who wrestle with the Christian faith, they often look at people who claim to be followers of Jesus. They go, well, they got knowledge, but they don't seem to have this personal experience. And it becomes a blind spot. And I would venture to say, I would venture to say that whether you're listening online or you're in one of the other venues or right here in this room, I would venture to say that there are some today that your faith is more about the fact that you've inherited. You come to church because it's the thing to do. You believe in God because it's what you're told to do. But the tipping point is when you actually invite Jesus to be Lord of your life. Because the Bible says that Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. In fact, one of the biggest struggles that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day is they were more concerned about preserving their expression of religion than they were about having a relationship. You see, true Christianity is about relationship with God not about rules, not about orders, not about morality, as we heard earlier. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this is the blind spot. And there are people, and if that's where you're at today, can I encourage you? It says, whoever will receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. That receiving just simply goes, God, I thank you for everything people have given me. I thank you for the knowledge, the teaching, the understanding. Now make it real and make it personal. And when we invite Jesus in, well, that changes this whole deal, doesn't it? We look at what it says in 1 Peter 3.15. It says this, but in your hearts. Notice he didn't say in your heads. He said in your hearts, revere or set apart Christ as Lord. Make it personal. I am not a Christian because my parents were a Christian. I am not a Christian because I attended Christian church. I am a Christian because I have personally investigated the, the claims, the teaching, the life of Jesus, responded to the inspiration, the movement of the Holy Spirit, and invited Jesus to be Lord of my life. So many people who are on this journey, this quest for truth, they can actually be living in a blind spot where they don't even see it and they don't even realize they haven't moved in. All right? Okay, next one. In your notes, write down this word, the word social. And you're going, okay, where are you going to go on this one? Well, this is an, a very interesting challenge. It's what we call the social justice challenge. So social justice can be one of those barriers for skeptics to believe in the God that believers talk about. Because for a skeptic, they look at the teachings in the life of Jesus and they go, Jesus taught and modeled and exemplified this incredible life, but there's this gap, this disparity between what Jesus said to do and how those who say they're followers of Jesus. Are you tracking with me? how those who say they're followers of Jesus are actually living. So Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, or if you see the poor, then take care of them. Or if you see the oppressed, set them free. Or if you see, everyone is familiar. Believe it or not, everyone is familiar with the teachings of Jesus. And I think this is particularly a barrier for our Western civilization. And I want you to hear me, because I was born and raised in Canada, but I am afflicted with the same challenge as those of you who have immigrated to this wonderful land of freedom face as well. When we come into our Western civilization like this, the temptation is to add the experience of faith into everything else that we do in life rather than to be the central part of our life. So in our life, we buy our bigger houses, we get our bigger cars, we build our bigger bank accounts, we get our bigger retirement funds. We want bigger, better, newer, and we spend. And the disparity that we see is the fact that the life that we live and model is quite different from the one that Jesus lived in the Scripture. 
And it's quite different from the one that the rest of our brothers and sisters around the world are living. And so in some ways, we feel like maybe we're entitled to this. So a skeptic looks at the church and he goes, well, if Jesus said that you'd be willing to give sacrificially and give generously and you'd be willing to rescue, but the church isn't doing that, then why should I choose to believe in the God of the church? Because it can't be the same God that Jesus believed in. Does that make sense? So it's a barrier for a lot of skeptics when they look at the gospel and what is truth because they look at our culture and they look at the Christian culture and they go, hmm, I don't know. Now, it's a blind spot. Let me take it a little bit deeper. It becomes a blind spot for believers. And what I mean by this is that when it comes to our faith, I look at this social justice challenge and I realize that what Jesus called us to do, he called us to live differently. Often the church, and again, I'm going to speak to the Western church, often the church is known for what we are against, not what we are for. We will rally We will hold placards. We will make our voice heard for things that we are against rather than the things that we are for. That rather than standing up, we should be saying that we want to be the first on the front line to rescue those that are impoverished or those that are in the sex trade industry. We want to help those who are depressed. We want to help. Our goal in life should be to do exactly what Jesus called us to do. That we should be the ones living and emulating the very life of Jesus. That righteousness and justice is a call to action, not a call to comfort. That we are called to be mobilized in this world. So many look at the call of Jesus and they get cocooned and they isolate themselves from the world. We're not to be isolated from the world. We're to be in the world, just not of the world. Make sense? We're to be there being salt and light and influence. Here's a passage. It's in your notes. And I think it's just a powerful portrayal of this principle. Psalm 15, verses 1 to 5 where the psalmist asks a question, a real simple one. He said, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent or who may live on your holy mountain? Then he answers it. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their hearts, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to their neighbor, who casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath or a promise even when it hurts, and who does not change their mind who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. And so for a lot of believers, the blind spot is we often forget that the life that we are called to live, we're not called to the bigger and the better and the grander. We're called to those who are the lonely, the down and out, and the humble, to be his hands and feet that minister to them. So it's this opportunity for both a skeptic and a believer now to begin to confront these tough questions. So the next couple of weeks, they're going to get a little tough. But I want you to keep all of this in mind, that ignorance, willful neglect, misinformation, or uninformed, whatever it is, it will keep us from the truth unless we're willing to confront the barriers and we're willing to look back into our blind spots. So I leave you with a question this morning. And I'd ask you this. Personally, personally. Have you allowed a blind spot or a barrier to inhibit your ability to encounter God's truth and grace? Have you allowed a blind spot or a barrier, maybe intellectual, maybe personal experience, maybe social justice-based, but has there been anything in your life as a skeptic, seeker, or believer 
that has actually inhibited your ability to encounter the fullness of truth that God has for us in Jesus Christ. And as I lead us in prayer in just a moment, I want you in your prayer just to go, God, help me. Help me with my unbelief or help me in the area of my ignorance, the true request. And God says, I'll give you wisdom and I'll give you my spirit and I'll lead you through it. Now, I've got a little challenge I want all of us to take. Are you guys good for this? A little challenge? See, now I'm down to two people. Look at that. All right. Little challenge we're going to take on. So it doesn't matter to me where you are on the spectrum of your journey. You can be an atheist or you can be all the way across and just be a radical charismatic. It doesn't matter to me where you're at the spectrum. Here's the challenge. It's 2016. For the next seven days, I want you to simply open up God's Word and read it and allow the truth of His Word to speak to you. Now, I want all of us to do this. So uh, we have different reading journals and stuff that we use here, but here's where I'm going to encourage us. Open up the Bible to the book of Mark. If you have a hardcover, that's, you know, into the middle, turn to the right, get to the book of Mark. I love the book of Mark because it focuses on the life and the ministry of Jesus. Very simple, very short book to read. Every day for the next seven days, that's all I'm going to ask you to do. Six verses, five verses, ten verses, twelve verses, one chapter, whatever you want to read. Before you read, I have mine electronically. Before you read, just simply start with this way. God, help me to see truth with no blind spots, no barriers. And then just read a number of verses. And then when you get to the end of your reading, when you feel like, okay, I'm there, then just pause and say, Holy Spirit, help me see this truth in my life today. Just do that for the next seven days. When we come back together, we're going to jump into some deeper issues. Here's one thing I know for sure. I don't have to defend the truth, and God is going to be ready to step in if you're willing to take him to the test. All right? Let's pray. So, Father, what an amazing opportunity we have this morning to begin a brand new year, to set new opportunities, new goals, and new ambitions, but none is greater than to know truth. So we're going to look at some tough questions. And Lord, you know that I feel completely inadequate at moments to stand and even speak on some of these subjects. But we come to your word because your word presents truth. So we're going to explore it. We're going to open it up. We're going to share it together. We're going to talk about it. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to see your work. We'd see your hand. But most importantly, we'd see your truth as revealed in Jesus Christ. So I pray for everyone in the room right now and everyone listening to my voice. If we have allowed a blind spot or even a barrier to sort of arrest our journey, I pray today that we'd have the courage to face our doubt, our fear, and our uncertainty and start the journey again. Because God, we know this, you can handle the truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.